Oftentimes with the startup, you're questioning product market fit and whether there is a path to profitability. With the franchise, it's been proven out or else you wouldn't be buying into it. And so you know what that path to profitability looks like. And it's all about going in and executing. Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. I've always been curious about franchising. So when John's name came across my email, I thought, why not interview him? about franchising. So in this episode, we're going to talk to John Austinson, where he runs a company called FranBridge Consulting. And although he came from the corporate world, he switched over later on to running franchises. He owns a few franchises as well, but we talk about the ins and outs of what it takes to own one, how it's different than startups, but at the same time, the benefits of both and the benefits of both. We go over the portfolio approach, getting into diversity and finding the right manager to manage some of these, where the franchise world is going, where it's been. It's a great conversation overall, especially if you're brand new to franchising. Listen in. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts, a success magazine podcast. And today I have John Austinson. What's up, man? How are you? Hey, Tristan, doing well. Love the show. Excited to be here with you. I'm excited to have you. You're East Coast, West Coast. Where are you at? Yeah, East Coast, Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, nice. Nice. I love Atlanta. I love it, man. All right. So Fran Bridge Consulting. Tell me about that because with our audience being entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, I know the franchise word or the idea comes across the plate often. So tell me about that. Yeah. So there's this world of franchising out there that oftentimes people don't know about. It's what I call non-food franchising. And actually just recently wrote a book called Non-Food Franchising. But you know, so oftentimes franchising and fast food are synonymous. And yet there's this world of opportunities that once people learn about them, they flock to them. And so we're seeing just incredible amounts of interest um, and have been able to help clients all across North America get into um, opportunities ranging from you know, boring businesses like property services, gutters, insulation, dumpsters, to you know, health and wellness and fitness, to, to oil changes, kids, pets, the aging population, all these sectors you know, in which entrepreneurs can thrive if only they had a model to step into. So uh, with Frambridge Consulting, um, we work with over 600 different franchise companies in the US. We do more deals than anybody else on behalf of our clients. And yeah, we just really hold their hand through the process and help clients evaluate what are those top opportunities that are available in their market that best match their criteria. All right. So then when I'm looking at franchising and let's say a startup, right? Why would I lean more towards a franchise over a startup? Yeah. It, well, the fact is more than 92% of franchises are still in business after five years, which is more than three times that of a traditional startup. So we can quantify it or we can go with more of the subjective approach, which would be 
getting into business and into franchising, and not every franchise is created equal. And that's where we come alongside our clients and help them identify the right ones. With the franchise, you've got a coach on the sidelines, that franchise or the better you do, the better they do. So you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. That sounds very cliche, but but it's true. Um, you've got a community of other owners that are living the same thing day in, day out. You know, you're, you're starting on third base. You've got the marketing playbook. Oftentimes, the, the franchisor is running that for you. You've got support teams. In some cases, you're able to buy in bulk or you get preferred agreements with dig, you know, service providers out there like a digital marketing firm, let's say. And really, at the end of the day, you also have not only are you building a business with good cash flow and you're able to write off business expenses as well, but you're building an asset that's going to have exit value down the road. And there was an interesting study over the course of 10 years, they looked at 2,000 business transactions in like-kind industries of both franchise and non-franchise. Mm-hmm. They found that the franchise resales traded at a multiple one and a half times those of non-franchised. So from a resale potential, you're also seeing that exit value realized there at the end. All right. So well, you've been doing this for a while, so you, you see everything on the, on the franchise level. Would you say the biggest reason for success is on the franchise level is because you already have a more even playing field because you get the paperwork, like you said, the marketing, you get help, a community. Is it because it's kind of laid out for you? I think it's the support along the way, but it's also a model that's been proven out. You know, oftentimes with a startup, you're questioning product market fit and whether there is a path to profitability. With a franchise, it's been proven out or else you wouldn't be buying into it. Uh, and so you know what that path to profitability looks like. And it's all about going in and executing. And now, I won't sugarcoat it. it. It's still work. You know, some of our clients are jumping in full-time as owner-operators running the day-to-day. Others are hiring a manager to run the business for them. And the buck still stops with them, but it does allow them with that franchisor to kind of have a tag team approach to managing the manager where that franchisor can be the technical resource that the manager goes to. It just takes some, some of the burden off of our clients that are looking to keep their day job or keep their current businesses they're focused on. You know what I'm thinking now? Let's say you want to start a startup. It would probably be better idea to go into a franchise like with you and be like, hey, hey, John, what's a what's a great opportunity? Be like, hey, these are the ones and be like, jump into it, get all the groundwork, lay everything down. And then if you want to start a separate startup, you literally have the playbook and be like, oh, I remember how I, how to do this. That's a great point. We talked about that. We talked about what's right for the next season in your entrepreneurial journey. You know, and this might not be the only thing that you ever do. And, you know, it's interesting. We work with a lot of people that are also existing business owners that come and say, hey, we're we're looking for our next opportunity. We've been there, done that. And building a startup, we know all the work that goes into it. We'd rather have kind of a shortcut system that's been proven out for us. <laughs> Makes sense. But I will say that some of them, you know, when they come to us and we start talking, I have to clue them in on, hey, I don't think this is a right fit for you because you're too entrepreneurial and that you want to put your thumbprints all over everything and you can't stay within the lines. And so it's not the right fit for everyone, but I think it's the right fit for the majority. I kind of like that because I've done a few startups and it's just like, I don't know what I don't know, right? And that's that I think was the biggest challenge. Do you offer... For people that that want to do startups, do you ever offer like, hey, well, since you don't want to go the franchising route, here's a process that you need to follow no matter what, right? You're going to need this. You're going to need that. You're going to need that. Do you ever do that or no? We do. We have a chapter in our book that kind of touches on that. I also did a video series for the Entrepreneurs Organization recently on franchising. And there's a section in there where it talks about, hey, even if you don't get into franchising, whether it be buying a franchise or franchising your business or 
in some cases, you can be a franchising vendor and make that a client vertical. But let's just say franchising is not for you, at least not in, not in this season. What are some of those best practices of franchising that if you were to implement these in a business could get you further faster? So no, we, we do hit on that. It's not something that I spend a lot of time taking clients through because I try to stay focused. But there are principles that I've laid out as to how they could be utilized. Got it. And what do you look for in somebody who's looking to franchise specifically? Anything stand out? Like, hey, it looks like this person will have better success based on this person. Anything? Yeah, I think their willingness to follow a system. You know, I, I used to be, I served as president of Shelf Genie Franchise System in the past, you know, on the franchisor side. And, you know, when I looked across our owners all across North America, our best performers were those that followed the system. And again, that sounds cliche, if you will. But it was true that it wasn't the guys that came in and thought they were the smartest guy in the room and tried to reinvent the wheel. It was the folks that came in and said, hey, there's a reason why I'm buying into the franchise. It's for the system and I'm going to go execute on it. And those were our top guys. It makes sense. You know, when we talk to elite performers, they have that same mentality. They're like, you know what? Just tell me what to do. Like, I just want to know what to do so that I can even get better at what what I want to get better at. So that makes a lot of sense, man. Makes a lot of sense, John. I, I would look for that as well. What do you think now that you've been doing this for a while as far as non-food franchising? What are some some things that are coming up that are opportunities that you didn't see coming? You're like, oh, that's that's interesting. That's cool. That's a great thing. There's a situation out there right now. There's three different companies, and we work with over 600 different franchise companies, but there's three that are offering an option to their candidates, to their franchisees, where they will actually manage the business for them. And it's in the early stages. We're not too far into it, but I had two doctors in Raleigh recently said, hey, we've got zero time. Not only do we not have a small amount of time, we have no time. We need a totally passive option. And there, there are only three of them out there that, that we like in that bucket, but it's one where the franchisor will recruit the manager, manage the manager for you. You get on a business review call with them every month, and that's about it. You know, and they're not available in every state. So I don't want people to get too excited just yet. You know, we can certainly guide guide on this. So, you know, that's one development out there. You know, another development, I I get multiple calls every week from private equity firms saying, hey, John, what are you seeing out there on the horizon and and in the landscape? And private equity loves franchising. And they usually invest at the franchisor level. Every now and then they'll scoop up a bunch of franchisees, but usually it's at the franchisor level. And they just love franchising for all the same reasons that I do, you know, that we've kind of been talking about. And they see the opportunity to have that predictable revenue and cash flow. And these are oftentimes highly profitable. And you know, just like many of my clients, they're attracted right now to more of those boring businesses. And it's um, you know, it's the oil changes and the you know, the, the concrete paving, and that you know, we've got a client that's killing it with dumpsters right now. We we actually had seven different clients buy into a gutter business last year, you know, gutter uh, installs. It's a six billion six billion dollar industry, highly fragmented. Here's an opportunity for them to step in, you know, with a you know robust marketing engine and, and business that's branded, beautiful website, great marketing, and they step in and gain market share. It's a white collar approach to a blue collar industry. We had multiple doctors buy in. We had a Wall Street attorney. We had a corporate executive. We had a couple of guys in the insurance field, all different types of backgrounds, putting that business owner hat on and saying, since I was a little boy, I haven't dreamed about owning a gutter business, but. I'm going to put that opportunistic, you know, lens on, and and they see the business, they like the culture, they like the day to day responsibility of overseeing that manager, and they love the financials. I love that. And, and do you lay out the financials for different options, or how do you decide? Like, if I come to you, John, and you're like, okay, Tristan, here's probably what's going to work for you, and here are the financials. Do you do that, or is it 
more like you pick. Yeah, so two things there. On the financials, you know, I've got to be careful not to make earnings claims. So I always give disclaimers when I talk financials. And I want those coming from the franchisor, but I give some true color around what that investment level looks like, as well as the projected returns based on what is shared in their item 19 of the franchise disclosure document, as well as what I've heard through my sources and through other franchisees, just you know, directionally. So I give them a good ballpark idea on the returns. The way our process works, first, it's entirely free to work with us. Uh, we're funded by the brands. It's very much like an executive search model. So if you came to me and said, hey, you know, I want to target Dallas, uh, that's where I live. You know, What are those top opportunities in Dallas? We'll talk about you know, some characteristics, different types of businesses. I'll help fill in some education gaps maybe uh, for you. But ultimately, you know, we do enough of this that I'm able to kind of zone in on, on those key questions to ask. I get the information I need from you. We would then come back to you about a week later with the top 10 or so opportunities in your market that are available that you know kind of meet your criteria where we've vetted the franchise leadership teams. I mean, that's a huge piece to me having been a franchisor. I mean, that's going to be your business partner. So I want to see the guys with the track records. Obviously, the financial model and the returns have to check the boxes. We look at competitive advantages of a business within its industry. And then, like I said, we we do more deals than anybody else in the country. And so we get great visibility into what's resonating, different backgrounds all around the country. Why is it resonating? And we're able to apply that, you know, to, to really curate those top opportunities for consideration. Oh, I like that. Do you own any franchises? Of course. Yeah. No, I practice what I preach. Great little driveway business. We recently uh, acquired several other uh, franchise locations that were around us. We've been expanding that way. But again, it's a niche within that property services space. It's, it's a driveway business. You know, I'm invested in another concrete business up in Minneapolis, invested in a pool cleaning business. I'm invested on the franchisor side on kind of a, um, a kitchen remodeling type business. So no, I, I love franchising. And yeah, I invest in real estate. I invest in all the different asset classes, but franchising definitely has a key place in my portfolio. And we're seeing more and more investors thinking of franchising as an asset class. There are only so many good real estate deals to be had out there. Stock market's all over. Interest rates are high. It's a good problem to have, but it's a problem. People are saying, what do we do with our capital? And uh, there's more cash than ever before on the sidelines. We're going to go and get me some yield. And they're wising up to business ownership. That makes sense, John. Do we Would we also go to you typically to be like, hey, I've got, let's say I've got $100,000. Do you have any any franchising opportunities where I could just throw some money some way and then help somebody grow and then get some revenue that way? Anything along those lines? You know, every now and then I'd say we do it as a one-off. We've done some beta testing and it, it what I found is a little bit like threading the needle because as an investor, you're going to have a lot of questions. We've got to get you liking the operator. You've got to get you liking the opportunity. The operator has to like the opportunity. For us, it's not efficient. But that being said, we do tee up relationships like that oftentimes because we have a lot of clients that say, hey, like those doctors in Raleigh that I used as an example, we have zero time, but we have capital. And then at times we have operators that need capital and they'd rather not maybe get an SBA loan and leverage up. They'd rather get an equity partner. So every now and then we'll make those marriages happen, but it's in the minority right now. I do see that as an opportunity though, because that would open more doors for a lot of other, let's say entrepreneurs or solopreneurs that got some money. It's like, but I don't want to fully go in there. In your book, you have a chapter called Long-Term Strategies. Tell me about the long-term strategies, because I think those can apply to people franchising and people not franchising, like startups, entrepreneurs running their businesses already. What does that look like? 
Yeah. So when you think about long-term strategies on the business ownership side, whether it be franchise or non-franchise, and a lot of our clients own some franchise and some non-franchise businesses, it's really the portfolio approach. We have some clients that come in and say, hey, yeah, I, I like to stay in a segment that I know. Um, you know, maybe we have a doctor who says, "Hey, I want to stick with health and wellness. I just see, you know, the future there. I understand it." So we will sometimes, you know, see that track. Other clients say, "Hey, let's get some diversity and potentially some non-beta correlation between our investments, not just in asset classes, but even within the franchising asset class." I think of my client Nathan over in South Carolina. He's a good example. Nathan's forty years old, largest franchisee of two men in a truck moving service. Operates in about 10, 10 markets, does about $30 million a year in revenue. It's built a sizable little business. Well, he's also built up a team over time. And to allow for those promotions within, the way he likes to go about it is he comes to me every year and says, hey, John, what are you seeing out there? What do you like? I'll show him a few opportunities. He'll go with one of them. He'll put one of his young folks in charge of the business, give him a little bit of equity, say, go make us proud. And so he's successfully built up this diverse portfolio of different franchise businesses. And he has confidence that if it's a good franchisor, they're going to be providing the support to his manager that he doesn't have to lean in that much. In every in every deal we've done, he's come back and bought additional locations within six months of launch, which you know, I take as a good sign of how he's doing. That's awesome. That's a great idea too. You go in and if you've got a manager in place who you can give a small piece of equity to, you can have them run it and keep on doing the same thing as you as you get that done. What a what a great idea! I've I've seen that before, and I've heard a couple of my friends saying, "Look, we just picked up the most amazing manager at a McDonald's or at a Chick Fil A, and we're just bringing him over here." I'm like, "Oh, that's yeah. that's brilliant! That's a it's a great idea." Sometimes the best candidates are hiding in plain sight. It's your Uber driver. It's a stay at home mom that has a few hours a day that can contribute, but isn't looking for a full time role. I mean, it, there's a lot of great people out there that may be uh, unknown to a lot of a lot of guys. All right. So if I'm looking at this and I'm like, yeah, I, want, I think I want to do a franchise. What what are the fees look like typically? I've never done a franchise. Yeah. But you know, there are a lot out there. So what what are what are normal franchise fees? Yeah, so franchise fee, which would be part of your upfront, typically for your first territory, which may be defined as 300,000 in population, or maybe defined as one location with a radius of XYZ. You know, one location would be typically 50,000. Next one would be 40,000. Next one might be 35,000. So oftentimes you do see people buying multiples. So that would be your franchise fee. You then layer in your startup cost and working capital. So I'd say when you look at, you know, let's build in three months of working capital plus startup cost plus franchise fee, I'd say probably 75% of our client placements right now are somewhere between 150000 and 300000 from an all-in investment. That's just where a lot of them are landing. I mean, we certainly have some that are, you know, north of a million, but I'd say most of them are kind of in that range. And some of our clients will buy one location starting out, I'd say probably a third of our clients, but a third will buy three locations and it gives them that path to scale the business over time and probably a third are buying more than three. You know, we'll, we'll do some 10 unit deals and seven unit deals fairly often. Yeah. But there's different ways to fund as well. It, you know, while some clients are using cash only others are using cash plus an SBA loan. That's very common in franchising. Some reason an old retirement plan, like a 401k or IRA. It's, it's what we call the ROBS program where you can tap into that without getting the tax implications. You know, some are using a HELOC or a portfolio loan. So a lot of different ways to fund the business until it's cash flowing. Dude, this is so interesting. I've never talked to anybody that's done franchising. So this is really cool. Yeah. So let's pivot a little bit. How did you get started into all of this thing? What what happened? Why franchising? Yeah. Non-food yeah. franchising too. 
Well, I'll be honest, it found me. I, I didn't find it. I'd spent many years in corporate America, had a really good run, could have kept doing that. But like so many had that desire to do something a little more entrepreneurial. And for me, I wasn't sure what that looked like, which is the same story I hear from my clients all the time. So just over six years ago, I left the public company sector and stepped in as president of Shelf Genie Franchise System. So you know, moved to a private company. And for me, that was that light bulb moment of, hey, franchising is more than fast food. And I'm seeing all these people across the country in North America do very well with all different types of backgrounds. And I just thought that was so cool. So I spun off shortly thereafter with the founder of the business of Shelf Genie. We've invested in franchises as franchisees. I've had other partners where we've invested in franchises. But you know, in every case, we've got good people running the businesses and allows me to spend over 90% of my time helping others do the same. And so I really, for me, I saw a niche out there that was not well-known enough. That's why I call these non-food arenas of franchising. So I do a lot of speaking and writing and helping to educate on these types of opportunities that I think a lot of people are looking for. They just don't know yet what they're looking for. And if I was going to, or if anyone listening in was going to want to start working with someone like you and saying, hey, I've, I think I have an idea for a franchise so that other people could franchise it. What do you look for and how do people approach you on that? Yeah, I'd say first, let's build that prototype and prove the model out. It's good to start with the end in mind, but I'd say where we come in is usually when there's an existing business. I don't personally take companies through the franchising process of franchising their business, but I've got a great partner that does. And so I'm always happy to get on calls and yeah, you know, I had several this week with some really cool concepts where they've proven out at the corporate location. Maybe they've opened up a couple other locations and they're saying, hey, maybe I should franchise the business. And, you know, some of the things I would say the pros and cons behind it, because it's definitely an option for a lot of businesses, but it's not necessarily the right thing for everyone. Um, you know, the pros are you can use other people's money to scale the business. You're able to oftentimes scale pretty quickly. You're getting people with skin in the game that know their local markets. You know, if you're working towards an exit, again, private equity loves franchising. So you're definitely putting yourself on the radar for quite a few PE firms. The, the downside, and it depends on how you view it, you know, you wake up one day and you've got kids all across the country or all across the continent that have expectations of you. And, you know, you've got to cross your T's and dot your I's and be sure that you're staffed up and ready to support them because, you know, they're making a sizable investment. You want to be positioned to, you know, really you know, provide them a good return for what they've invested. And so you've got to constantly be innovating and constantly be coaching them and really providing that support that they're paying you for. As a new franchisor, those first couple of franchisees, you know, that are paying you five to 8% of revenue as their royalties, you're not going to get rich off of that. You know, it's probably paying to keep the lights on and to pay your support team to go, you know, coach them. Over time, those royalties can become meaningful but where you can make some real money as a franchisor is if there's a vertical integration opportunity. You know, for instance, when I was at Shelf Genie, we had custom pull-out shelving for kitchens and pantries. Well, we had a manufacturing plant that produced these wooden boxes that were part of our end solution. Well, we would take a huge markup on the wooden boxes, full visibility to our franchisees. They understood the math. They would then take a huge markup on this, you know, in as part of that solution to the customers. That's where they made their best bottom line. That's where we made our bottom line. So if there's a way, and sometimes it can be a creative way, but you know, through a third-party service provider, let's say, but if you can find a way to take markups where you're still providing a great value to the franchisee because you're buying in bulk, let's say, but you're also able to benefit off of that yourself, that's where you make the true PL bottom line. 
That makes total sense, dude. Like if I if I create a franchise opportunity and I'm providing the product and I have a small markup because I, I produce it in volume, that makes total sense. Yeah, it's another distribution channel, if you will. That is a great idea. I love that. How do you stay sharp and upbeat? Like, how do you just stay relaxed and calm so so shit doesn't get to you, dude? Like anything, you beat your head against the wall half the time. And and we've done it long enough and we've seen so many success stories that it just kind of, you know, I love what I do. I pinch myself getting to, getting to help people and, and do well, you know, ourselves in the process. You know, we're out there, we're attending a lot of conferences. I was at a presentation by Guggenheim last night here in Atlanta, where, you know, so I'm trying to get exposure to all different types of industries. You know, we're talking about recession and what that looks like in the second half of the year. Prevailing thought seems to be, you know, it's going to be a category one recession, which if you think about hurricanes, you know, category five would be the worst. And so everyone's projecting the economy will go south a little bit, but it won't be that bad. That's that's what we keep hearing. But no, just trying to educate myself on those. And, and I will say on the recession point, ultimately, what kind of business do you want to own if the economy goes downhill? Think about what you're personally going to continue to spend on. You're going to spend on the things you care about. It's it's your kids, your aging parents, your pets. Yeah, those are things you're going to spend on. So I think businesses that cater to categories that are somewhat resilient are going to continue to thrive. You know, if anything, I'd say the trend is the anti-trendy. It's the boring. It's the non-sexy. It's the understandable, Amazon-resistant, somewhat COVID-resistant. You know, it's the Surpro model. You know, pipes are always going to burst. There's always going to be cleanup. There's always going to be insurance companies to fund it. You're always going to have potholes in the parking lot. Well, those can become an OSHA hazard. You're always going to have to fix stuff. So it's businesses like that. And we're seeing guys, but also a lot of females running these types of businesses, which is really cool as well. That that makes sense though. Like if we're looking at things that are never going to go away, like something along the health side, right? If I own a home, Stuff's going to break all day long. <laughs> so that makes a lot of sense. Things things that no matter what happens, if my plumbing gets plugged, I need a plumber. Like I can't live yeah. here. So it makes total sense. And, you know, kind of getting out of the property services, you know, just another example, you know, the, the senior care. Senior care space is pretty crowded, you know, but everyone's kind of doing it the same way. But we've got an opportunity right now where there's a gentleman out there that I've got a ton of respect for that had built up a 700 location senior care business. This guy knows industry probably better than anyone. And he said, wait a minute, there's a better mousetrap. There's a better way to provide service. And so he's built a new business that provides better service with a little bit different model, takes out some of the headaches, some of the hurdles. You can have a smaller team, build a bigger business and just kind of checks the boxes for all constituents. And so it's just examples like that where you come in and you know there's a niche. You know, There's another one I love right now you know, you're always going to have renovations, whether it be hospitals or doctor's offices or you know, airports or retail, hospitality. Well, think about those temporary walls that you see going up all the time, you know, during construction. Well, someone's got to put those in. Someone's got to provide them. And there's a great business. We just had clients in Dallas buy one the other day in that space where it's pretty simple to put these up, simple to take them down, but then you're collecting these monthly rents while the walls are in place. So it's almost, and you know, they pay for themselves in like 70 days. So it's just a great business model. And, you know, I think self-storage, car washes, laundromats, I mean, th- those are great. They are higher capital investment. I do think some markets are a little saturated on those. So the question is always, what's the next thing? That's where we spend most of our time. What are you seeing has a low investment that's a good opportunity right now, only because people aren't seeing it. They're like, ah, maybe, but you're seeing that it looks good. 
Yeah. Well, I'll just give you a couple of examples there. You know, the, the senior care one just mentioned, I mean, that all in investment there, you're probably around 150,000. I mean, but it's a small sample size because they're an emerging brand, but they're doing close to 2 million in revenue a year at about a 15 to 20% bottom line margin. So, you know, you're three to 400,000. That's a pretty good return on that initial investment. Now I mentioned the gutter business. We had seven clients buy into last year. Their average is 1.7 million in revenue per location. And they're kicking off 28, 29% bottom line margins. You're talking to five, 600,000. So let's take a conservative approach to that and haircut it by a third. You know, just it's still, there's a lot of meat, still a lot of meat on the bone. That's an investment of probably 200,000. So, you know, I won't say that they're all created like that gutter example, but oftentimes they're not too far off. And so I think it's eye opening to people to see if I invest this, it's not passive. It does take some work. Yeah, I won't sugarcoat it. But when you look at what's achievable, even after you deduct for a manager's salary, you know it's still an attractive return. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. I like that. Anything on the real estate investment side? Because I thought I was reading something when I was doing some research on you that you brought that up, but I wasn't sure. I'd say the majority of our clients own real estate too. I think it's just a very similar mindset and approach, but it's also... There are some direct synergies. I mean, we've done multiple deals with real estate brokers that buy into, say, property management franchises. You know, we're, it's a direct complement. Or I was on the phone with one this morning. He's in, um, he's getting into a Windows business down in South Florida. And he's like, I know every real estate agent in town. I've already talked to them. They said that we'll be their window provider and, you know, shades and blinds and all that. So, yeah, I think leveraging your relationships. I mean, the more that you can drive business without having to spend on marketing, then it just comes to the bottom line. Now I'm thinking like a real estate agents, those that are doing or performing well, and they've been in it for a while, they have a great database. Like what could they come in and say, you know what? I should be franchising something like this. Cause I love the idea of property management. Of course, windows, I hadn't even thought of, but it makes a lot of sense along those lines. What do you think are opportunities? Insulation, $53 billion industry, energy costs are going up. I mean, you're always going to want to reduce costs, both residential and commercial. So a lot of potential customers out there, but talk about a fragmented market. I mean, my guess is you probably can't name an insulation brand. You know, branding isn't as, but if you come in and you've got a great marketing team, maybe you have a call center supporting, answering the phones for you, you've got great technology, you've got the technology to see behind walls and see where people are under-insulated. Um, yeah, that could be a really special place. I mean, there's a lot of move movement in the industry towards spray foam. I mean, it's just a better end product. And so I think getting out there at the forefront, there are some concepts within fitness we like. You know, we talked about the older population. There, there's those 50 and above care more about their health than ever before. And yet they're largely underserved when you think about fitness concepts. They don't want to go in the big box, you know, gym, you know, for the most part, especially the older you get. You know, but there's a great opportunity. We just had a PhD from the University of Arkansas. You know, she was looking for a side hustle and really fell in love with this senior related um, fitness concept. And it's not just that they cater to those 15 and above, but they also have great technology with all their systems and, and their equipment. It's all proprietary. You know, it's interesting that, that there are opportunities. That, you know, we had a client that became a business coach recently. He was a mid-level engineer, early 50s, and said, I've always wanted to be a coach. And I see this opportunity to coach younger engineers, but I don't want to go out and start my own thing with having to recreate curriculum and assessments and um, programming, I'd much rather be able to come in to a proven system, have all of that that I can leverage and then customize to my needs. So, yeah, so many different sectors that you wouldn't think about. So we don't do much food, but we did do one that was a food truck recently, uh, just because it flies in the face of all the things I don't like about food. Less perishable industry. This one is focused on donuts. The donut batter stays good for a full year. 
and serve lemonade and coffee, all high margin opportunities. You know, you open up when you want to. You, you, you park these things at outlet centers, you know, more of a destination or take them to high school football games. But just some great numbers behind it. And our client kind of fell in love with it. So every now and then we'll we'll go off the reservation and do one in food, but but not too often. I love that. That's good, man. That's good. How do you stay up to date? As far as uh, everything franchising and business-wise, is it just you going to events like the one you did last night, or is it? Are there other things involved? Yeah, I'll go to conferences where I meet with a couple hundred franchisors at a time, and it, it, we're very fortunate because because I do more deals than anybody else out there. That we do have franchisors reaching out to us constantly, trying to get us to represent them, and you know we're selective. I'd say even though we work with about six hundred, any given time there's probably fifty or sixty that I feel are the best of the best that kind of check the boxes in a bigger way across those criteria that we discussed. I like that, man. All right, so what are you currently reading right now? Because I see your book behind your head, non food franchising, which I ordered on Amazon while we were talking. But what are you reading right now? Yeah, gosh, I was talking with an entrepreneur yesterday. We we're, were talking about what was on our bedside table. I mean, I probably have 30 books. I've got a couple on raising kids. My kids are 11, 7, and 5. And so, you know, raising boys, I, I've, you know, tried to get into the Bible every day. But no, on the business side, I go back to Darren Hardy oftentimes, who's, you know, Success Magazine. I know you're, you're probably a fan of that, but, you know, the compound effect, that's just a good one. I listen to most books. I've been listening to Duct Tape Marketing recently. Been you know I, I go back and revisit Tim Ferriss, Jim Collins. I'm trying to think of my favorite book of late. You know, I think Rory Baden. You know, talking about procrastinate on purpose was one that really uh, impacted me recently. And that's kind of a theme for my year this year is the eighty twenty and saying no to more to focus on. Yeah. That's good. Use Jim Collins. You know, good is the enemy of great. Right. Yeah, dude. Jim Collins is. It's always great to pick up Jim Collins and reread that. It built to last. Yeah. Good to great. So what's what are you looking forward to this year in franchising? Anything changing? Anything new that you're like that's an opportunity for you specifically? Yeah, for me specifically, I just invested in a franchise up in Minneapolis. A, a guy I know that's going to be running it up there um, in the concrete paving space. I'm really excited about that. It's more of a B two B type model. But no, for me, there are a couple of emerging franchise brands that have asked me to serve on their board. And this is where I'm trying to use some caution to say, you know, which ones to say yes to, which ones to say no to. But I feel like I can add a lot of value to come in. And, you know, these are newer to franchising. They know their industry. I know franchising. So we're in the process of designing how much time commitment that is and what that structure looks like. But, you know, that's something I'm kind of beta testing that may go into in a bigger way going forward for a small equity stake in these different operations. So um, that's something that, that I'm excited about. How do you determine who you work with on on that level, kind of like a colleague level? Do you look for certain things as far as people or what the company represents as far as vision or mission? Or how does that work? Yeah, I mean, the the people obviously have to check the box. And then I look at the financial model they have. I mean, I know what's resonating with my clients. I know what questions they're asking. So it's very easy for me to look at one of those and say, that one's going to be a runner. Let's get behind that one or that one's not. So I think that's also some of the value I can add to them is positioning them. Because when you're franchising your business and you're out there offering it to candidates, you're not just competing against others in that same industry that are franchised. You're competing against all industries. You know, these candidates are looking at lots of types of businesses. So I think understanding kind of what your special sauce is and how to best position that is something I can provide a lot of value in. That's great. All right. So somebody starting off brand new, looking to either jump into a franchise for the very first time or looking to start a business for the very first time, what are you telling them as far as what to look for and and 
And these are this is the advice that you typically give. Yeah, you know, let's think about what is needed in your market. What is more discretionary? What's less discretionary? Who your target customer is going to be, um, and how you're going to acquire that customer. You know, and you know, I had a client recently that was looking at a property services business on Long Island, and he said, you know, what about the competition? I said, well, why don't you have you know, three or four of them come out and give you quotes? And, and he did, and um, so he knew who who he'd be up against before he started the business. And you know, he said of those, there was only one that was really probably a true competitor for him, you know, in his mind. I said, well, next step, go poach some of their best people right before you launch. And so you like that idea. Um, so I think doing some some degree of market analysis, um, I, I wouldn't overthink things because I think giving yourself some leeway and going in and you know, taking some of the pressure off yourself and saying, hey, let's get this going. And, you know, we may evolve it a little bit differently over time. And whatever you do is also going to inform what you do in that following season. So I think the biggest hangup people have is just getting over overly thinking things. And the fact is life's never going to slow down. There's never going to be a perfect time to, to start a business or buy a business. There's always going to be a reason not to. And yet I just see so many clients that are so thankful that they made that decision you know, in years past to start one. That's true, man. That's true. All right. So it's now a business that's struggling, startup, franchise, what should they look to do to start turning things around? Yeah, I mean, it starts with the people. You know, it's getting the right people in the right seats, and if you don't have that, then it's going to be very difficult. But you know, get the right people in the right seats. Get as lean as you can. Don't don't run marketing until you've got something to invite the customer into. And it, you know, you want to make sure you're ready when you are spending on that marketing because it's it's also bringing reputation out there in the market. So, my experience has been if you transition, I, I was talking with the guy last night that runs a marketing agency, and you know, he has a five person leadership team. He brought in four new leadership team members and replaced four other ones this past year. I mean, a wholesale change right there, but he couldn't be more excited. And the, the day you realize that someone needs to be let go, it's probably a couple of days too late. <laughs> you know, it, it make it happen. Don't sit on it. Act fast. Um, I remember back during COVID, you know, in working with a lot of companies, I'm a member of the entrepreneurs organization, so I get exposure to a lot of different types of businesses. And yeah, a lot of founders were nervous, but the ones that really did well through COVID outside of just how their industry was positioned were the ones that identified what needed to be done and did it and didn't wait around, didn't make excuses, didn't try to get others thinking or they found reasons to get moving rather than reasons not to move. We said cut fast, cut hard, cut often, you know, keep these businesses solvent and you know, God willing, we're not going to face another COVID anytime soon. But but if we do, a lot of the businesses our clients are in should still do well. And how do you keep talent? How do you make sure, how do you do your best to make sure that you keep the people that are performing at a high level? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you've got to show them that you care. There's so many different ways and different books on how to do that. I, I won't bore you with that. But I think it also a key piece is aligning your interest. And what I found, a lot of our clients have hired folks that are in their mid to late 20s. And these are people that have some have gone to college, some haven't, but they've all gone out there in the workforce. They've gotten some experience. They're not totally green, but they've also had enough experience to say, I'm ready to do something different. And they poke their head up. They look around and um, yeah, they want they want to go do something. So I say, go give, you know, titles are free. Give them a step up in title. Give them a salary, you know, maybe similar to what they've been making, maybe a little bit less but a whole lot of upside potential that the better they run the business, then the better, um, it, it, which means the better you do also the better they do. So, you know, I think quarterly profit sharing rather than annual makes a lot of sense to people in that demographic. 
um, and making it very clear on what those metrics are and not getting too convoluted. But, um, you know, seeing yourself as more of a coach and a partner uh, than a manager or boss, you know, I, I think even that approach changes them. Well, I like that. I like that mindset shift, right? Instead of seeing yourself as a boss or or someone that has to just bark authorities, I mean, bark orders like a manager, um, partner. That makes a lot more sense, man. I really like that. Well, it resonates with them a lot better. You get the best out of them. All right. Where do people go and follow you and find out more information about you? Yeah. Well, we'd love to offer a free copy of our book to everyone, uh, all of your listeners. Awesome. Uh, we'll, you know, so come out to our website, franbridgeconsulting.com. That's F-R-A-N, bridgeconsulting.com. Sign up for our monthly newsletter. We put out some great content. Uh, I'll then have my assistant uh, send you a digital copy of the book, both audio as well as downloadable PDF. Oh, cool. Um, if, you, if you would like to buy the book on Amazon, though, 100% of profits go to Hope International. It's a great nonprofit. Uh, so feel free to do that as well. Um, but yeah, it, I'll also have our assistant you know, put a link in, in her email uh, that if you are serious about looking at next steps and exploring opportunities, you know, I'd be happy to jump on a call with, uh, with your listeners and kind of talk about what that looks like. That's pretty cool, man. I like that. It's the first time me talking to anybody about franchising. So yeah. uh, this was great for me. So thank you. It, all of these questions were like, how do you do this? How does that? How's that? So thanks for answering those. Absolutely. And I enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.